0: Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today for the second time is a dear friend, Nels Pasternak. Nels is a special education teacher at South Eugene High School. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back and get to talk with you again.
0: Yeah, this is cool. You came on six months ago and we talked uh, about your work as a special educator at South Eugene High School. And you're also the chair of, tell, tell me that again, the board that you're involved with.
1: Um the the Oregon Education Association's Special Ed Committee. So I'm the chair of the Special Ed Committee for OEA.
0: And we have, you know, personally, you and I have known each other for over 20 years, and we have some amazing conversations probably at least, you know, once every couple of weeks, hour-long phone calls, which is pretty rare these days. And we talk about a lot of stuff, and you've really shown me and educated me a lot on the goings-on in the educational system, especially primarily in special education And, you know, with everything going on with the closures and distance learning and, you know, working towards hybrid learning, getting back in a hybrid setup, uh, getting students back into classrooms, there's a lot going on. So uh, I thought six months was long enough. I wanted to have you back on the show. We got something super exciting, too, to talk about today. You and your wife, uh, Charu, just launched a new website called EducationalEquityNow.com. And we're going to talk about that at the end of this. We'll bring her on and we'll talk about your website. And it's pretty incredible. It's a very useful tool for for students and educators and parents alike. So we'll get to that in a little bit. It's uh, educationalequitynow.com. And the link, I'm going to say this a bunch today, the link to that website will be in the show notes. And so I definitely encourage anybody listening when they're done listening to this podcast to go check out your website. We'll we'll talk about that at the end. Thank you. But again, thanks for doing this. And uh, so let's just get into it. You know, uh, one of the things with uh, distance learning, there's been some serious fallback or fallout from, from uh, you know, what's happened over the last year with COVID. And this is what we've been talking about a lot behind the scenes. But one of the things that's more apparent now than ever is the, uh, the need for, techn- you know, technology skills. And you wanted to talk about that today. So we'll start with that. So yeah.
1: Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, I was just gonna say. So yeah, let's just let's just talk on that. You know, that uh a lot of people are working from home. Obviously, students were were doing uh distance learning. And you know, on the last episode we talked at length about the challenges for uh special needs students uh with distance learning. And so today we're gonna get a little bit more broad and talk about just what what it's gonna look like moving forward, but you really think that there's a very uh Huge importance being shown on the, the need for technology skills. So speak on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I feel like as long as we're doing distance learning, I think we should be explicitly teaching the actual technology skills and shift some of the focus from the other subject matter um, and make the time um, to teach how to use the technology in all the classes. I think that um, the use of technology in learning is going to get bigger going forward. It's pretty much everyone's going to use the Internet at times. In their lives to learn new things and you know most people are doing this you know daily the internet genie's never going back in the bottle you know we use technology for everything for you know can i feed this to my dog to oh i have this rash like what should i do about it you know to oh i heard this word i don't know i want to look it up and we're all doing that so often these days but there's a lot of new technology and i think that as a result of distance learning it's just kind of that's expanding at a rapid pace and i feel like it's really important because a lot of the jobs of the future you know, are also gonna be based on technology. And I also think we need to be thinking collectively about what the long-term impacts of the COVID pandemic are going to be, um, especially concerning technology and the jobs of the future. Need to realize that the landscape of learning and work in some ways is going to be changed forever. You know, people who are burying their heads in the sand or refusing to acknowledge this are gonna be inflicting harm on themselves. You know, everyone now has experience working remotely. So we're going to see more distributed teams and previously, distributed teams and work were a big challenge because very few people, you know, knew how to work remote or how working remote, you know, happens or the logistics of it. And now everyone's working remote, so it's going to be easier to have teams be in different locations as long as the time zones, you know, match up. So people can work in smaller offices in more places, and I think that that might have impacts for inclusiveness and diversity because companies going to be able to have an increased number of smaller offices. And that means they might be able to get people who work in different cities with different demographics, you know, all working all right. together. Yeah.
0: So one of the things we're going to be talking a lot about today is equity and equity specifically in education. Uh, tell me a little bit about what equity, what that means. You know, last time you were on, we talked at length about some of the issues with just access to internet and access to iP- iPads, for example. You know, we talked about how Uh, the local school districts have have put in uh, like a bus with Wi Fi and how that's just it's not effective. You know, one of the things that we can do to build equity is, is to, you know, work towards making internet a pub, a public good, you know, that it's something that everybody has access to. But tell me what it is, what equity is,
1: well, you know, equity is kind of the opposite of the one size fits all model to education. You know, equity is not about giving everyone the same thing. Equity is about giving people what they need to have a fair opportunity to learn um, based on the individual um, exceptionalities that they experience. You know, so equity is about a special education when it's done right is like a vehicle for equity, Either individualized instruction, accommodations, modifications, you know, making sure that we are. Um, seeing people and meeting people where they're at and seeing what level of help they need and making sure that they have that help they have a really fair opportunity for a free and appropriate public education. That's part of the special education law is that we're supposed to provide uh, free and appropriate public educations to all students who experience exceptionalities. And, you know, you only do that by building strong, you know, interpersonal relationships you know, relationships are extremely important in Um, any kind of education and especially in special education, you need to understand the strengths, needs and interests and the preferences of the students that you're working with, you know, take a strength-based approach and really collaborate. It has to be collaborative. It has to be based on um, that. We're listening to families and we're listening to kids and that we're not like trying to force this one size fits all model on people. And it's providing everyone with, with an equal, you know, opportunity for access to public education.
0: It's interesting because with your experience working in in the area that you do, uh, when COVID hit and everybody was kind of, you know, had to work on the fly on how they were going to go about distance learning. Would you say that your experience with special education gave you kind of a benefit to know, uh, at least some of the issues that would arise because people weren't prepared, you know, on, on just full scale, like everybody, everybody found their themselves in a situation where they, uh, We're behind the curve, more or less. And so every day, I'm sure at work, you have challenges on how to work with each individual student, you know, so I I don't know if I want to say, did it put you in an advantage, but is it, is it something where you're like, okay, now everyone understands what my daily life was like, you know, before this.
1: Um, I wouldn't say that I mean for, for me in the type of job I have I work with students who have like what's called low incidence disabilities or kind of rare disabilities so I'm always learning new things every day. I feel like teachers and students always have dual roles like we're both teachers and we're both learners and you know i've been work i've been seeing the technology develop in a lot of different ways so i mean that helps in a in a way i guess like we are using now in class we're using like i have a student who uses eye gaze technology to communicate who's nonverbal and you know in a wheelchair and and she has like this device where she can just look at like a picture card with a phrase and if she looks at it you know and intentionally then it, the machine will say that And that's really cool. You know, you can broadcast that screen onto Zoom and we can see where her eyeballs are and like see what what that student's looking at. And then we have other students who use um, step talkers, which are like little recording devices where you can have a preloaded message and they just have to touch it and it'll say something. And you can program like three different levels of messages so they can participate in discussion that way. We have students who can hook like switches up to a computer. And so when they hit the switch, it'll play a video or it will read a page when we can do group reading with students who can't read, but they have switch access to the computer. Um, we have students with augmentative communication devices so that they can, then they're learning you know, rapidly how to use those devices to speak to um, facilitate conversation. And they can't verbally say things, but they can say things using the um, augmentative communication programs on like the iPad minis. And so You know, we've had a lot of experience with certain technology and we, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a lot more prepared for this than anyone else. I've had to learn a ton of technology skills myself uh, in this year and continuing to try to do the best to learn new technology every day. And there's definitely some teachers, I think really like maybe the computer science teachers were the most prepared, Sure. but even Computer science is an ever-evolving field. You know, you have to continue to stay on top of your learning because what was new technology five years ago is now obsolete. So, in a lot of situations,
0: one of the things you and I were talking about yesterday uh, uh, was silver linings, and this is kind of a broad thing. But I guess what I was getting at is, it's like this kind of one of the silver linings is it exposed an, an issue, it exposed equity concerns across the board for everyone in different ways. You know, and uh, so, I mean, I want to speak on that a little bit. What do you think are some of the, I don't know if silver linings is the right word, but just what are some of the things that we've now been made aware of that you may, this is what I was kind of implying that you as a special educator might've already kind of been aware of, but now we know on a bigger scale uh, that we really need to be thinking outside the box and we need to evolve our thought, you know, and what are some of the silver linings of this last year? And also, w- since the last time we spoke, what would you say is the, uh, the thing that you've learned the most from uh, distance learning specifically for special needs students?
1: All right. Well, I think um, the silver linings, I can't just talk about silver linings because I think that you have to talk about silver linings and equity concerns and that there's new equity concerns that are being brought out by um, distance learning and the situation that we're all in. And I would say, uh, starting with your second question, first, the thing that I've learned, I guess, um, the most for working with my students is that any student has the ability to learn tech- new technology skills if you make that a focus of what you're teaching. Like, it, students with exceptionalities can learn a lot of new technology skills if they have help to do so. And that that's, I guess, if you want to call that a silver lining, everyone is, not everyone, but a lot of people are learning new technology skills. I would say remote work and remote learning will be more common and the daily commute will become less common as time evolves. Um, In terms of equity concerns, I'm really concerned that a new educational divide is being created between people who are actively engaged in learning technology skills during this time and people who are not. I'm concerned that people will try to justify the creation of this gap and blame this on effort and maybe perseverance or a lack thereof. And if that happens, it will be really unfair because there's also a major access gap. Um, to technology based on gender, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. A lot of people do not have access to high-quality computers, and um, also a lot of populations, especially minority populations, tend to live in areas that have poor broadband access. That makes it a lot harder to stream videos. One of the big challenges in distance learning, I believe, is finding other ways to teach besides using video, so like audio podcasts, maybe with accompanying slides can, would be a, an alternative that should be explored maybe more because that consumes less broadband. And most people do have access to smartphones these days. And, you know, on a smartphone, that works better with a podcast kind of format. Um, knowledge and software for things like setting up guided access and limiting certain websites like YouTube. It kind of, might be important so that parents can control what their kids are using the technology for. Like I hear stories of parents asking, hey, they call the district and say, how do I disable my kids' YouTube? They're watching videos when um, they should be um, in class. And then sometimes districts say, oh, there's no way we can do that. Well, there is technology for that. And with a lot of the Apple and Android systems, there's like built-in technology where you can set a parental restriction on YouTube, but maybe uh, people in districts don't know that. And I think at the very least, like maybe doing that one-on-one, like with every family is not gonna be possible or feasible because, you know, have you ever tried to give, you know, if you're giving tech support to someone who doesn't understand what you're saying on the phone and you're not there in person to show them, that can be hard, but you know, there's also remote control so that with Zoom, you can actually share remote control so that, and people can share remote control with you so you can like access their computer just like it was your own computer, but I think at least they should have like print out directions, like they should be sharing like directions for how to have parental access and how to do screen sharing and like how to do remote control and how to do et- annotation tools and things like that. Um, there's also like just a lot of other information that's not widely shared that people should be aware of. Like you know you can use a cell phone to set up your own Wi-Fi network. We can set anyone with a you know unlimited data plan and a smartphone can set up a Wi-Fi hot f- spot from their phone, and then you have Wi-Fi that your your phone is generating. Right. I don't know know how many people know about the guided access or the parental control or, you know, setting up the Wi-Fi hotspot or, you know, the annotation tools or that you can use remote control to let students control your screen to learn or vice versa for you to provide tech support to families. So I think there is a lot of there's a knowledge gap, but there's also an access gap that I see. And and the knowledge is not always the, the right knowledge that people really need is not always being shared proactively in the ways that it should. In my opinion,
0: so one of the things, I mean, we're going to talk about your website in a bit, but is that something that you would like to see kind of utilized on your website? Maybe some kind of instructional videos, or I know you had mentioned that, and we'll, like I said, we'll get into that more later. But you had mentioned how you want to set up a forum so that people, if they have questions, uh, parents or teachers or or students, can you know pose questions to the community and then kind of get uh, response that way. But is that something long term that you'd like to see the website have tools to kind of educate maybe a parent on what on what they might even not know that they need to know?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we have four sections that we have for the website and we'll talk about that a little bit more. We have educational resources that are categorized in a bunch of different categories. Charlie can talk more about that. Um, we have you know, community resources, which starts out just kind of sharing different places that people, especially people who experience exceptionalities, can go to get services and supports. But I'd like to expand the community resources. And we also have professional development for parents and educators. And then we have a contact us that's going to turn into a public forum. But I would like to see in the community resources, um, adding some of the um, how-to documents for how to screen share from an iPad or you know how to use some of these tools to help make life a, little, a lot easier for people who are doing distance learning and using the technology to learn and you know the way that this website is set up is it's meant to be like a collaborative hub so that people can send us resources that especially free resources that they think are very helpful and we can add them as time goes on we're going to be turning it not just a website but educational equity now we envision it to be a nonprofit profit um, community. Essentially. Yeah, and an online hub or community collaboration space. And, yeah. you know, we have to probably turn it into a nonprofit first because um, the amount of time that it's already taken a lot, a lot of time to set up where we are now. And it, in order for it to evolve the way we want it to be, we have to continue to put a significant portion of time into it. Right. So
0: now, uh, I mean, anyone is aware over the last year, anyone with kids is aware of, uh, you know, the many, many, many challenges with distance learning. Uh, one of the issues is student engagement. You know, you had wanted to talk about this uh, for a student really feeling heard because a lot of times, and this goes from kindergarten all the way through college that people are dealing with. I, I'm, I work on campus and I talk to college kids every day and they're like, I'm not learning anything because I'm just being talked at. You know, I'm not I'm not engaged in anything. So I don't, you know, they don't get their, their feet wet more or less. So you know, uh, talk on that. How much student engagement has, have we lost because of distance learning and has the public education system lost the focus on student engagement that we were collaboratively building?
1: I feel like um, student engagement needs to be the forefront of our educational focus. And we need, um, I don't think we should wait for that to happen. I think that we should start working on that now. I think we've absolutely lost a lot of student engagement I think that there's no debating that we have lost student engagement in this model. And I think that we have lost a little bit of the focus on it, too, because so many people are just new to the technology or they're just trying to get through like the daily routine of, you know, maybe just just try to make it one day to the next and with everything that's going on. And, you know, I wouldn't want to blame anyone for that, you know, because the pandemic many of us have lost loved ones um, during this time. Um, you know, including myself and my family has lost loved ones, not necessarily directly because of COVID, but there's people who have lost loved ones because of COVID and because of other reasons. And we all have a friend who's probably, you know, had COVID at this point. And, you know, so there's a lot of trauma, you know, there's a lot of that people are going through. And then there's also additional trauma of having to recreate how you do your job. But at the same time, I think we need to be finding ways to improve student engagement and collaboration. And we need to use a lot more of the tools that help make that possible. I'm a big you know, um, believer in the Google Drive tools um, but with the folders. I think that we could be doing more work like giving students access to shared Google folders and documents and letting them create projects and finding out what's interesting to them and putting them in teams and letting them do some of the research and create the slides you know, together and that we should do more of that because that allows them to be social in an online modality. And it allows them to like use some of these tools that a lot of the adults are using. I don't know how much that's happening. I know that in my life skills class, I've made a Google drive folder for every student and for every IEP goal that they have. I have made a separate folder inside their main folder, which has learning materials specific to the IEP goal and data sheets. And I shared those folders with all of my IAs and each student folder shared with them and their family. And so that the materials are always accessible. They can see when I add new materials in, they can request things that they want to help support their student in whatever IEP goal area that they might have. I can find the material, drop it in the folder and they instantly see it. You can do things like open up a, a Word document and they can be typing and you can be typing and you can in real time, see each other typing at the same time. And you can give corrections in that way and it makes it more engaging You can add, you know, my daughter, learned, who's eight, learned to make a Google slide show. Uh, We made a a lesson together just for fun. We made like a star signs um, lesson project where we listed all the star signs and six positive characteristics of every star sign. And then we made slides with pictures that describe what those characteristics are. And we just did that as like a writing project or as a discussion prompt so that students could, if they wanted to, could look up their star sign and they could look at the characteristics that are normally attributed to that. And then they could write about which ones they think they have, or they could talk about what does it mean to be, you know, persevering or what does it mean to be, you know, a critical thinker? or What does it mean to be compassionate? Like all, we only did positive ones. But after I did that with my eight-year-old, she went and made her own for our family. And so there are like, there are ways to get kids um, excited about learning, even in a distance learning modality, but you're not going to get anyone excited about learning if you're just, Sage on the stage, you know, acting like, you know, there's this some some elements in society. It's like there's this you know, perspective that teachers are just like gas station attendants, and we're pumping curriculum into kids heads. And then we turn it off when the lesson is over. And that's an outdated model of education. You know, I took professional development in the skillful teacher series. And one thing that I really liked from that professional development is it's, it's all about how do I talk less as a teacher and get my students collaborating and talking more around what the subject matter is. And I think that's super important because there's also a quote that says the person who's doing the talking, that's, who's doing the learning. And and to an extent you can't have students just talking about whatever they want all the time, but we should be getting them, you know, we should be empowering students to be engaged in the learning process as much as possible. And, you know, we should try not to talk so much as teachers, I think, and, and let them talk and do more and let them use the tools. And, you know, there's also like there's annotation tools, on zoom. So like, if you're sharing a screen, I can draw, If you could share a whiteboard on your zoom screen and you and I could do art together at the same time where you could share a video or a discussion prompt and all the students could type their answer on the same thing. Then you could use screenshot, which is like shift command four, and you could be saving that. And that can be artifact work samples, you know, like instant data just from the screenshot. And, you know, we do in my class at the first and last school day of every month, we do a collaborative art project now where I share a whiteboard for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and everyone in the class uses the annotation tools and draws on that. And we create like pretty beautiful, you know, I think they're beautiful works of art and I save those. And it's just kind of something to look back on that was creative and fun.
0: Yeah,
1: And, you know, there's other tools as well. Like the remote control is really helpful. You know,
0: know, so that, that, those things you're talking about right there it, it's really best utilized on like an iPad, right? Not on a laptop, because if you're going to be drawing, you have to be able to have access to the pen, you know, and this exposes. Uh,
1: no, no, actually we do it all on a laptop. Sorry. On a interrupt. laptop
0: with a mouse yeah, the,
1: or whatever. The Google, the, the Zoom annotation tools are, are, it's like an art palette. You can do stamps, you can do all different kinds of art. You use the mouse. It's not, we don't do any of that on a, on a okay. laptop at all. I,
0: what I was going to say though, and I mean, even access to a laptop, this exposes... The issues with equity, you know, because some people don't have a laptop, some people don't have a tablet, you know, and so that's where we're going to have to think outside the box, uh, you know, as, as the adults here that are going to try to figure out how we're going to fund that how we're going to make sure that well, and th- you know, that's not your job description, but we are cool. going to talk about that a little bit in, in as far as uh, OEA and the committee. But before we get into that, I wanted to, to, to talk on, uh, you know, go ahead.
1: So I just want to say that the schools do hand out laptops to all the students in in our district. The, the schools are giving actual all the students have been provided laptops um, from the school and they give out um, Wi-Fi hotspots as well. So they're you know, they're, I don't want to discount or discredit the work that some of these some of the administrators are doing good work for equity. And I just want to say I, I have friends who are school administrators and there's good administrators and there's bad administrators, just like there's good teachers and bad teachers. Sure. But. But the rollout of technology, um, that has been a part of the process. And as far as I know, every student who's engaged in distance learning has access to a school-provided laptop. um, And
0: that's great. And that's exactly what I'm saying. So like in the past, they acknowledged an equity concern. And then now where we're at, they've actually done something about it. You know, you've had somebody, like you're saying, that the the schools are now providing, like you said, Wi-Fi and laptops and access to that stuff. And it's so, I mean, when we learn from COVID distance learning has shown us just the need for tools and for technology and the use of technology. But the only way that's going to happen is if everybody has the same tools. And so that is a, a really good news to hear that, that at least in our area, you know, cause we're spot, we're speaking about Lane County here in Oregon, probably that, you know, that's being addressed that those issues are being addressed and there's progress being made. And that, that's a good thing. So now you wanted to say, uh, I mean, It's a general question, but what is the point of education? I mean, it's a, it's a big, this is a big question, but what is the general idea and goal of education?
1: I feel like, um, you know, for, I feel like the point of education, there's, there's multiple main, you know, themes or points to education. I feel like drawing out what's within people is a main focus. You know, there's a quote um, from a song that I like um, called find no enemy. It's by an artist named Dekayla. And the quote is, you know, from what the system wants to do is the working class to keep them uneducated because truly educated men can never be racist and to educate us to try out what is within. And are we not all the same under the skin? And that's an interesting quote. And that makes me think about how there are entities that want education to be about forcing people to comply with the status quo and sit quietly while they listen to lectures. And that there's, I believe that there's factions that want education to be about creating obedient drones who memorize facts and follow directions. And like the metaphor I gave about the gas station attendant, you know, just pumping in the curriculum is kind of an example of that and how we want the future of education to turn out is one of the central, you know, philosophical battles of our time, in my opinion. And there's a famous quote that says teachers are the bridge between what is and what is possible. And in order for that to be true, we have to have students being empowered to engage and inspired to want to learn. And, you know, society needs to realize that memorization is not comprehension, you know. And that's a big difference. Like we don't, we don't want to have, you know, education should not be about compliance. Education should be about empowering students to collaborate and to engage in the educational process and to let their voices be heard. And we want to inspire kids to want to learn and develop the habit of being lifelong learners. And we have to make learning fun for the kids so that they see the benefit and learn to attach an intrinsic value to learning. That's the that's the real way that I feel like society is going to evolve in a positive way is that we want people who are educated and who are on the path of con- consistent self-improvement. I believe that's what that's a big part of what life is about. And, you know, so uh, Char and I actually created a logo uh, related to this and we're in the process of creating T-shirts. It's these T-shirts that we're creating. This is our logo. It says an Empower um, Inspire and um, we're creating T-shirts that we're going to sell. And we're going to donate a significant percentage of the profits to local um, nonprofit organizations that support people who experience exceptionalities.
0: And those shirts will be available
1: on the website? Um, I don't think they might be on a separate res- website because the um, Educational Equity Now is, is a separate project and Empower Inspire is a different project. Educational Equity Now is a nonprofit. And this one, we're just going to sell some shirts and donate some of the profit
0: sure.
1: to um, local um, organizations that you know, support people with exceptionalities. So that's, and we're not ready on that project. We're still waiting for t-shirts to come in. We have our prototypes, but we don't have ones for sale yet, but that'll be available. I'll let you know when they're available. Yeah. As soon as those pilot. are
0: available, I'll, I'll definitely share that on my my socials and on the podcast. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit before we bring your wife, uh, Charu on, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your work with the OEA and, and the committee work. Uh, you know, this is an interesting thing you had wrote down that you wanted to talk about uh if public education starts to become more privatized uh let's talk about that a little bit
1: all right so before we go into the um the sped committee work you know just a thought i'm i'm concerned about as a potential negative uh impact or effect of how distance learning of, of COVID in general and distance learning um i'm worried about you know public education becoming more and more increasingly privatized. And I also think there's factions in the country that want to see a for-profit education system as the main model of education. And if that happens that's going to only increase the equity gap. And I think like if if we as public education system public educators and people running the public education systems we need to be checking in more with the families and finding out what they want. for their kids, what the kids want and what the parents want as much as possible regarding public education. And that if, you know, eventually we see a shift to more for-profit, you know, education systems, I think one of the reasons that shift, one of the reasons that shift will happen is because when people start doing it for money, they're going to ask the customers, meaning the families and the students, what it is that they want to learn and how they want to learn it. And they're going to be responsive to those, you know, To the answers that they get, and I think that a lot of time we just do things in public education, and we don't ask enough questions about, and we don't differentiate enough about how we're providing things that meet the needs of the families and the students that we serve. You know, and and you could also see that kind of in in a distance learning context. Like I would like to see families and maybe teachers having been surveyed to begin with, and you know, asking which teachers would prefer to teach in person which families, you know, I know some of that's happening, but, you know, we could have matched or tried to match maybe like, like, like teachers who want to stay online with families that want to keep kids online to an extent. I mean, we, we had a lot of state regulations that just changed. So I'm not saying that that hasn't happened or, um, but I have all the answers for, for what should happen. Sure. But I do know that in general, I think public education works better when we're actually asking people what it is, what help they need. And that when you, whenever you help people in any, Uh, context, you know, you need to ask them how they want to be helped. And what's
0: working and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. So now you wanted to talk about Senate bill 580. So what uh, is that
1: about? So with um, as part of the work that we've been doing as the Oregon education associations, special ed committee, um, we help sponsor a Senate bill. um, So Senate bill 580 is about making class size and caseloads a mandatory subject of bargaining in our schools. And that's just about, um, a lot of times it's not in the contracts for educators. And so you could have the same school district. You could have an educator with like, you know, 28 students, or you might uh, in special education and you might have another educator with 16 and they're getting the same amount of prep time or, you know, they're, they're, um, being given, you know, they're being treated like they're doing the exact same job and, that's not fair for the students because one student is getting, you know, a lot more time and attention from their teacher who's in a smaller class and another student is, you know, through no fault of the teacher getting a lot less. It's just, it's not fair to have such wide discrepancies in caseloads and class sizes um, in, the, in districts for teachers or for students. And so it should be balanced. And I think I'm, I'm not saying that. Um, everyone should have to follow the same rule, but I, I think that that's a good legislation because if class size and caseload are mandatory subjects of bargaining, then every local district has to at least have that discussion with their teachers and see what makes sense for them. And I just think that should also be equitable, like having caseloads and class sizes, um, in a district be relatively similar for all the teachers is something that helps promote equity.
0: Now, what is being done to kind of get the word out about about that senate bill proposed
1: well there's a listening session on march 3rd that i'm going to be participating in with the senate and then i'll know more about that afterwards so right now we've just been working on that through the special ed committee and through oea's legislative uh, team and so right now they're in the process of getting senators to sponsor or of local legislators or state legislators to sponsor that bill and to move it forward to where the point it can get to the point where it can be voted on and hopefully passed Right. So it's still, it's not, it's not complete. We're still in process on that.
0: So there's also something you wanted to talk about before we move on and talk about the website, uh, the mental health action plan. Uh, we need to have a coherent plan to help support students' mental health
1: in schools. So talk on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, the special ed committee is working on a mental health action plan. We, we feel like we definitely need to have a plan to help support students' mental health at, in schools, as you said we don't see a lot of leadership in this area and we want to create a blueprint for that and a plan because, uh, mental health is really important and we feel like, you know, supporting students in to have um, good mental health or supporting students who need that kind of support in the schools is a part of the job and that it should be focused on more seriously, especially given this collective trauma, you know, that we're all living through. So we're, we're in the process of creating that. And, um, you know, there has been some examples of good leadership in this area. Like, I really appreciate the work of Nadine Burke Harris, who's a Surgeon General of California and a pioneer in the treatment of toxic stress. She's also a pioneer when it comes to the idea of ACE scores. And so ACE scores are um, basically it's it's based on a survey about adverse childhood experiences. And what she found in her research is that um, people who have experienced a significant number of adverse childhood experiences have long-term um, health implications. Because when you have, like, a negative experience, like, say, a bear comes into your house, you know, and you have that adrenaline and your heart pumping, that's a healthy response. Maybe you get out of the house before the bear eats you and, you know, you're, you know, for, it's a silly metaphor, but, like, that response of your your physiological system helps you escape the bear, hopefully. But if the bear keeps coming into your house, like, every single day, eventually all that adrenaline and all that heart rate pumping that physiological response becomes very um, destructive or it, it wears you out and it causes long-term. And that's a, maybe that's not the best metaphor, but that's the metaphor that um, she gave in her Ted talk. And so I'm kind of paraphrasing her own metaphor, but you can see why like having repeated adverse, you know, childhood experiences, it has a lot of um, health implications and they're not, and they're for mental health and physical health and they're, they're not good yeah you know, so and it's something that we should be more aware of it's something that we should figure out how to help with and it's something that we should be able to assess in my right. opinion what and i know things- go ahead. but i just want i don't know if we have time but there's two other things with the oea special ed committee work that i just kind of wanted to touch on if there's time but if sure, there's sure, not go go so um two other things we've been working on is we're working on an awareness campaign where we picked like um we had like 30 topics related to special education that we thought there needs to be more awareness and. Um, training about or presentations on. And so we boiled that down through a ranking system to five main topics. And we're working on creating uh, presentations for professional development that are teacher led and also podcasts um, on these topics. And we're in teams of like two or three, two two to four people in the SPED committee working on different topics. Like I'm working on positive behavior intervention and supports, and we're going to be uploading those once they're complete. That will be part of the professional development section on the Educational Equity Now website once those get completed. And then the other thing I just wanted to touch on is we also created and we've done other work besides just these four things, but we created a statement on distance learning from the Special Education Committee. And basically, we think that distance learning should be less about the paperwork and the compliance and more about human connections and asking families how we can best help them during these times. And um, that's kind of where I'd let in, where if public education starts to become more privatized, it will partially be because for-profit companies will ask customers what they want and try to deliver on those things. And we don't do that enough, maybe, in public education. But um, that's a really strong feeling that we have about distance learning. It also kind of relates to, I don't know if you read in the news recently, like Biden's administration decided not to cancel the uh, federally mandated standardized tests this year, and a lot of people are disappointed and I count myself among that because I don't think what sense does it make to have the, the the state federally mandated tests in the middle of a pandemic? Like I think it would have been a lot more of a compassionate move to have canceled those personally. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, there's a lot being done. And I, again, I want to commend you on the work that you do with that committee and you're always welcome to come back on the show and talk about the progress of how this, this stuff is, is going. And, you know, one of the things I wanted when we were talking about earlier about silver linings, one of the silver linings of, of COVID and some of the shutdowns distance learning this whole thing is that again, it's exposed some of the issues. And so once you can diagnose the issue, then you can start finding solutions. And so that's, I think, a good thing. You know, I mean, it's not a fun situation when you realize that there's inequities and whatnot, but at least then if you can acknowledge that it exists, then you can start making progress to fix it. So we're going to take a break and then we're going to quick break. And then um, we're going to bring your wife, Charu on, and we're going to talk about the website. So we'll be right back.
1: Excellent. Thank you.
0: Okay, we are back and we're now joined by Charu Pasternak. uh, And we're going to talk about the website. But first, uh, let's learn a little bit about who you are. Uh, You're a a senior software engineer. And tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Hello, everyone. First of all, thank you, Patrick, for having us on your show. Um, I'm a mom, I'm a partner, I am a daughter, a sister, a friend. Um, I'm a senior software engineer, I'm a lead. And I belong
0: here. uh, Tell me a little bit more. What do you mean by you belong here?
2: So, you know, um, I moved here from India 14 years ago. And um, up in the last four or five years, I always felt like, you know, this is not my country, this is not my place, not my people, you know, um, gone through this entire learning curve um, of learning a new language, food, people, uh, customs, um, everything. So, um, you know, I always would have a sense that I don't belong here. Up until four or five years ago, you know, I really had this epiphany that... um, I need to give back to this community. Eugene is such an amazing place. And um, I've had, you know, so much uh, learning experiences here. Um, I started volunteering at elementary schools and, you know, um, thanks to Mozilla for funding the Gigabots program for Lane ESD, Um, you know, I would go into elementary schools and that was just the highlight, like seeing those fourth, fifth graders be excited to work with a bot and, you know, talk about coding and just making that learning so much fun and engaging where they would write something, they would push it to the bot and it would just work. It would, you know, move forward or do something. And, uh, um, you know, other things like, you know, talks at PDX women in tech and, uh, just really giving a back to the community, being, a, um, being a support system for, you know, some of the gals who are trying to get into the tech industry, um, that just really gave me a sense of belonging. And I think that just changed my entire perspective um, of where I am and who I am. And, um, you know, I belong here.
0: Yeah, that's pretty great. So now you had mentioned, uh, you know, as a woman and as an immigrant, as a senior software engineer, what are some of the challenges that you faced?
2: Uh, you know, woman. In general, are very underrepresented in the in the tech industry. I've been mean, just at the workplace where I am at, up until two years ago, we had, you know, over 70 plus software engineers and three women. Wow. And out of those three women, only one Indian. And, you know, more often than not, even these days, when I go to meetings, um, it's all men. And I'm the only one. And, you know, um so and i think it all boils down to education at the elementary level which is why you know i really make it um a priority to empower um all young children especially girls you know we shouldn't have a predefined role that oh you know you would be best suited for a teacher or you know other roles like that so i think it's really important to highlight that and encourage it and um Just kind of present it in a fun way, because when you make learning fun, um, we all we all learn, but we retain that information um, for a longer period of time if we are having fun while we're doing it. Um, Yeah, um, you know, it, it is challenging, but you have to persevere through it and uh you know you have to bring the positive self always um one thing that really helps me um as a as an immigrant as a female in the tech industry is uh, um open communication i'm very transparent i um communicate my expectations very clearly um and um like that set, that empathy, you know, and emp- I lead with empathy. And I think that kind of over time uh, trickles down to all aspects of your life, including work.
0: Now, there's been a big push to get, you know, you had mentioned young girls, especially involved in the STEM program. Tell me what STEM is. STEM
2: is uh, STEM. What's the full form of STEM?
1: Science, technology, engineering and math.
2: Yes. So, you know, all, all those uh, wonderful things. Uh, but I think it's just like this being a big umbrella and uh, tech skills um, are so um, there are so many fun ways to learn technology. So there is a big push on um, getting all kids, especially girls into STEM, uh, which is very important. And I think part of that is teaching robotics and coding and, uh, you know, things like, how do you make a YouTube video? Um, How do you make, how do you use Google Slides? You know, when I was eight years old, I knew nothing about slides or computer or PowerPoint. And now we have, you know, um, elementary school kids who are pros at Zoom. They probably know more about Zoom than I do. Um, They can make these PowerPoint presentations and add animations and all that sort of stuff. So I think um, COVID, this this pandemic, um, it's been a a challenge um, to the entire world. But I think we need to use this this as an opportunity uh, to learn things that we would have not learned otherwise. And a part of that is tech skills because, you know, the future is, um, you know, you have to be very comfortable with the tech. It's
0: everywhere. You had mentioned, you know, one of the parts of STEM is math. And for me, in my household, my partner, Dana, she has a master's degree in statistics and she's a data analyst. and she also is extremely smart much smarter than me and and if there's ever anything that needs to be done like garbage disposal or transmission and our cars change she's the one that does it so in my household i am the uh, secondary <laughs> she's the, she's the skilled one i'm just here. i'm just here to make people laugh so, so uh we are definitely a woman led household and i'm i'm proud to say that you know she's the mother she's i'm a step parent so uh, I follow her lead and I'm proud to say it, you know, so she wears the pants in the relationship. <laughs> so, um, so that's uh, so, it's cool, it's cool that's to see so nice more of that. No, it's true. And I mean, and when you are a step-parent, you have to take a back seat. That's just one of the first things you have to learn, you know? And so when you take on that relationship, that's the first, it's the most important thing. If you try to dictate, I've talked to the boys at length and they're like, it's never worked. You know, there's a reason that she was single again you know, after dating and, and whatnot, but that's a little side note. So let's talk about the website. You know, we really want to drill this home. We've been hinting at it. Uh, the website is called educational dot com. Uh, what was the motivation for starting it? And yeah, let's start with that.
2: Absolutely. So educational equity com started, you know um, with one of the conversations Nels and I were having, um, you know, late at night is like, I have all the, you know, he mentioned he has all these resources. He knows all these, you know, websites they, that provide um, a, a variety of uh uh, resources for learning, life skills, vocational training, community engagement resources, professional development resources. And he's like, I wish there was a way to share this with the world. And I was like, well, I can make you a website. And, you know, that's pretty much how it started. And um, I am very passionate about knowledge share. Um, you know, I, I, I want to learn and grow every single day. We have a saying in our household that um, if you learn something new every day, it's a good day. Right. Uh, right yeah yeah so you know um that it, it just started uh, with that and the way i see educational equity now is um it's it's like a playground where oh, students hold on, hold on i'm
0: gonna stop you real quick we got some thumping going on i don't know what's going on with the audio is there uh, anyway go ahead
1: that's the kids upstairs <laughs> oh they're bouncing the balls okay yeah. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. sorry, sorry. Wait, are you still on pause? No, no, we're going. Okay, sorry.
2: Uh, so, sorry. educational sorry. equity now, um, as I see it, it, is a playground uh, where students, educators, um, parents, um, pretty much anybody can go there. They can choose um, a path that, that they want to explore, uh, which is why like when you go to the homepage, you will see it's like you can choose your journey. Are you here to for education? Are you here to look for some community engagement resources? Are you here for professional development? And, um, you know, let's say you drill into educational resources, you know, it just opens up this world um, of all these. Okay, well, I want to learn something about English language arts, or, you know, I would really like some help with math. So it's split into all these categories. And within each category um, is all the resources that, you know, Nels and I could find. I've put them there. There are links there. Some of them are free. Um, some of them are paid, um, you know, and those are the external uh, websites. Um, and then some of them have a free tier. So the way I see education equity now, it's a playground. Um, it is free, Um, and, you know, people can go there and explore and learn, and it's just one place where, you know, eventually I would love to have so many more resources and, um, you know, having a full-time job and being a mom and, you know, working on this website, I can't really like keep up with it all the time. So, you know, if, if there's a tech person out there who would like to just kind of help out sometimes, I would love that as well. So yeah, that's, that's what it's all about.
0: So the goal is to become a nonprofit. Absolutely. And and so what does the process look like with that?
2: um you know when when it comes to the business side of things that's uh that's where Nels chimes in um I am um I'm the tech person I just uh he will tell me make this happen and you know I'll make it happen and then you know eventually I think we would like it to be a nonprofit. uh we would like it uh to we would like to, uh, to have some board members um you know and just
1: kind of it's pretty easy to, to file an application to start a nonprofit. I've done one in the past once. Actually, forming a nonprofit is just completing some paperwork that you can find online. It's a little bit harder to file as a 501c for tax exempt status. That can be more of a process. I plan to reach out to um, community allies that I know who have nonprofits and you know kind of get their advice and, and just learn from others and do some research. That's the next step of what we're working on. I'd say that um, our website is not just linking other websites. It also links uh, educational videos and podcasts that we think are relevant as well. We'd love to link your uh, podcast under community resources, if that would be something that you'd be all right with. I'm definitely down with that. And then we're going to...
2: I just wanted to quickly add, um, you know, I I also wanted a space because Nels creates really amazing uh, lesson plans and things like that. And he really um, puts in a lot of time. He sometimes engages kids uh, with that. So he creates all this amazing stuff. We wanted a space to share that, um, you know, uh, so we find education equity now as a platform to share all those custom lessons that are uh, created by Nels as well. And, you know, another great about is is once you put those resources there you can access them from anywhere in the world from any device
1: right We also we also want to encourage other teachers if they have resources that they're willing to share kind of as an alternative you know to teachers pay teachers where teachers have um, educational things that they've created that they're willing to share for free with the community they can reach out to us on the contact us page and let us know what they're willing to share. And that we can put, it's a collaborative hub is the way I see it so that anyone who has something that they've created that they want to share or video links or a podcast that they think is really good or websites that are really good and particularly prioritizing free websites. Uh, We do have some that are paid because the special ed committee, I asked them to tell me their favorite websites and all the different categories. And so I put on whatever was shared from the other SPED committee members. And some of those links are to paid sites but as this evolves we want to be more and more free of resources and less and less paid
2: yeah and uh, just to kind of add to that vision you know I, I i still am building upon this idea of um um you know how kickstarters work like you have a kickstarter project and um you know people fund your project and then they eventually get your end product having i i don't know if a space uh, where that is available for teachers like i'm a teacher i want to create a lesson um, uh, you know, and I need somebody to fund me for that. So that sort of deal, um, you know, slowly, I think we're going to build towards that and has that as one of our features as well.
0: Yeah. And it's really cool. I mean, just, just browsing through it. Uh, you know, I've only gone on there a little bit, but like you had said before, there's different sections. You've got like English, you've got history, you've got math and all these different areas. And then inside of that, it's going to continue to grow. When did this whole project start? And when did it officially launch?
2: So this whole project started um, just over a month and a half ago. And I think, uh, yeah. And I think um, out of that, um, probably majority of the time that I spent on on this was uh, just thinking about the skeleton of how I'm going to build this website or app. Um, You know, once I had that, I want to have a solid foundations. Once I... Made that solid foundation. Adding new resources does not take very long. It takes me five. Like last night, he's like, hey, hey honey, there's like five new resources. Can you add them? It took me 10 minutes to add them. Sure. So, yeah. And then, um, you know, I finally launched this just about a week ago, like, you know, for the entire world to look at. I haven't shared it anywhere quite yet because I wanted it to be at a safe, stable state. So it is very stable and, um, you know, it's ready for people to dive right in.
1: You're the official public launch, Patrick. Absolutely. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah.
0: You know, one of the, uh, Khan Academy is a website that I was a big fan of in the early stages, at least when I was first aware of it. And what I noticed that has changed, it's kind of more like an online school now. Before, it almost had this kind of like video game feel where you got like, you got like points and like, congrats, you know, there'd be like 100 points when you got things right. And I don't know if they do that quite as much now. And that's something that I'd like to see more of because I feel like for, For me, I was, I went to school to be a barber. I didn't go to college. And then there was a point where I'm like, you know, I kind of want to pick and choose these free tools that are happening now in technology where I can learn a subject, maybe like a foreign language or maybe like more about history. And I like it to be kind of rewarding in that setting instead of just getting an A, you know, instead of just getting a grade. And so that's something I'd like to see more and more of. Is that something that you guys would like to implement as well? Maybe some games so that for for all ages, but for, and not just kids, like not just like four-year-olds or five, seven-year-olds for 17-year-olds that want to make it to where it's, it's rewarding
2: absolutely that is a, that is great point and uh, that kind of ties into one of the ideas i've had in the back of my head so my seventh our seventh grader he has been learning to code and he has created um, a variety of different games. They, they're not like the fancy games, but you know, uh, this latest project that he's working on, he's working on a game where you go, you enter your name, it shows you the image of an ocean, it shows you as a diver. Um, the game is called Pacific Garbage Patch Cleanup so you know you enter your name you click begin and then you as a diver with your keyboard can can move and it, it shows you random garbage at the bottom of the ocean and then you go and you touch each one of the garbages and it gives you 20 points for each thing that you clean up so you know having a message along with the game is like hey let's clean the pacific sure. um ocean garbage patch um stuff like that so Absolutely. Um, you know, I, think, I would I love just
0: think to- for even for adults and for, for young adults and for even for people my age, I just think that using that game style when it comes to learning, it you don't it, it becomes something that it's fun. And so you don't it's not wonky because like I, I I'm not much of a reader, for example. So to just sit down with like literature or or whatnot, it's just it seems like a task. You know, and so, so I was really impressed. I don't know if you know what I mean with, with Khan Academy specifically. And this was like years ago, probably eight, 10 years ago that it had started. And I I think they've gone away from that. I think now it's more just like online school. It doesn't feel like, you know, I mean, I was answering these history, you'd read something and then they would ask you questions on the review section. And when you got something right, it would be like hundred points, you know, and I was like, this is awesome, you know, and yeah.
1: Well, there are still, it depends on the site. It depends on the resource. Like there's some resources on our site that are like in a game based um, in the STEM category. There's about four or five different resources for learning computer coding. And a lot of those are game based. Some of them you even can create your own mini games. Um, I want to do a shout out for free reading, free reading program.com is a really good website. Um, that's for people learning to read between a kindergarten and a sixth grade level and all of that's game based and you earn stars and then you click the button at the bottom right to save your progress when you've earned all the stars and it auto saves progress you can look up a report for everything you've learned and I believe if you go through the levels of that they correlate to grade levels and if you, you basically can you can learn reading from a kindergarten through a sixth grade level you know for free it's completely free to have an account that's linked under our reading resources um Mr. We linked, uh, there's a site called Mr. Nussbaum.com and that has a bunch of learning games in it as well that are pretty fun. And that's got covers a variety of subject areas that's linked on our thing. And then, like I said, there's a lot of coding games and there's always room for innovation and I'm sure as, as word gets out, you know, and more people, tell us their favorite free resources in education that we'll find some more things that are game-based, like you're mentioning. It's just, a, there's so much out there that it's a matter of kind of weeding through and seeing what works for each individual learning style. Right. So now you,
0: who is the the website primarily directed towards?
2: The website is primarily d- directed towards students, kids, um, educators, and parents.
0: And then um, specifically, I mean, with also a side focus on students with exceptionalities and you know, I, would,
1: I wouldn't say it's a side focus i would say that's also. Awesome. i originally <laughs> when i when i originally wrote like the description of the website i said it's a uh, focus on helping students and especially those who experience exceptionalities and and so that's not a side focus that's a major yeah. focus but right. anyone can use the website we don't want to narrow um the appeal or or who it can help we really feel like the things on there can help any level of learner from kindergarten all the way up to college level or beyond from kindergarten to adult but there are a lot of specific resources on there specifically for people who experience exceptionalities i'm i've been working in special education for 18 years and that's a that is a not a side focus that's a primary focus as well yeah
0: i I, I didn't i didn't want to imply that i guess more or less i wanted to kind of drill it home that this is a tool that can be used by everyone
1: you know in
0: some some way so (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Sorry, I just want uh, many of the community resources linked on the community resources page are specifically for people who experience uh, exceptionalities.
0: Absolutely necessary. I mean, the whole point of equity is, you know, giving the tools to make sure that people are then, you know, given the ability to to have a seat at the table, more or less, because they're given the tools. Is there going to be, you know, stuff maybe focused towards immigrants as well?
2: Um, I I would love to. I would love to have some of that. But, um, you know, just to add on to that, um, I used to be a professor back in India. Um, I would, I love teaching. um, The only barrier here in US uh, between me and, um, you know, being like an official teacher is I have to go to school for two years. And, you know, I don't have the bandwidth for that at the moment. Um, But, you know, I would love to create some lessons about how to uh, how to quote this little thing, or you know how to do like some of the project management side of things um how to um you know prepare yourself for an interview or you know stuff like that so absolutely i would love to have stuff like that girls who code is you know another um resource that we should probably link here i would love to i i wish i have i wish i didn't need to sleep at all i could operate 24 hours uh, without getting tired but i would love to start a girls who code club here in new gene as well that is targeted towards um i think elementary and high school girls and you know they get together um and then there's usually based on how many um students there are you know x number of teachers and they send you all the assignments and the projects and you just kind of help um girls learn yeah that stuff
0: so music is uh, another one and before we get yeah. out of here i've got one more thing i want to focus on but i want to uh, give a shout out to Joey helpish. We're going to be playing his music in a little bit. And that's something I'd like to connect you guys with. He has a school called Dandelion Studios and that would be a useful uh, resource for people to access because he teaches music of uh, for all ages. Uh, he he focuses a lot on uh, kids. He teaches kids with uh, on the autism spectrum and uh, how to record music at, at whatever capacity, some are nonverbal. And so just taking part in the songwriting workshops that he teaches, it's pretty incredible what he does. I've had him on a couple of times, uh, Dandyland studios. So when we get out of here today, I'm going to, I'm going to set you guys up with connects to talk to him because I think that That's music it. again, back to what I was talking about with games and the rewards when you when you write a song and you have a finished product, even if you had a small sliver part of it, I've had friends that have recorded a backup vocal on one of my songs back in the day, and that's all it was, but they know it's in there. No one else can hear it, really, but they know that they took part in it, and there's an ownership, and there's a sense of pride in this creativity, and I, I think it's a really beautiful thing, so… Now Absolutely. what is the call to action uh obviously for anyone listening is to go to the website educationalequitynow.com but then also you've mentioned a few times through throughout this interview uh about people contacting you on the contact me now so so who would you like to contact have contact you teachers primarily you had said that you'd like to hear from teachers uh what they were what they would want speak on that a little bit
2: um yeah so the contact us page primarily is uh, you know anyone who would like to like to contact us, it could be for a variety of reasons. A teacher has resources they want to share. They should contact us there. Um, you know, a, a parent has, uh, you know, a certain question or a request for, you know, this specific need that they are looking for resources. You know, they can contact us um, there as well. And and then, of course, you know, other organizations who are into education, um, all the community engagement stuff Stuff that happens uh, around our area you know somebody has professional development resources that they would want to feature um on our website. So, you know, um all, all of them they can contact us. Um between Nels and I will try to respond as soon as we possibly can. Uh, I'm also working towards uh creating like um a public forum sort of uh um you know experience on the website that I still need to get started on that but that will be a spot where we would have some question and answers. Uh, of course you know no legal advice sort of deal but um you know just some basic question and we, we will try to answer them. And then also space for people to ask specific questions as well. And then, you know, if we answer it and it's approved and all, you know, that would also show up. So, you know, if people are looking for uh, for some additional information, they can go and review that. And if still they cannot find what they're looking for in that space, then they can also use the contact us to, um you know, ask their ask for their needs. And it's just primarily a way for for, um, for people to talk to us and you know give us their honest feedback um, as well, and you know I think asking for feedback is very very important. So
1: and sharing sharing resources, asking for feedback. I'm a little bit you know we're gonna do our best to answer the con- um, communication that we get. Obviously, we both work full time and we're parents of a 12 and an eight year old. So. As things evolve, as we become a nonprofit and maybe get a board of directors and get other people helping with this, you know, then we'll be able to increase our capacity to respond. But we'll do our best um, as this is still developing. We'll do our best to respond to any questions and add links for um, free resources that we vet and that are free resources that help promote equity, primarily yeah. is what we're looking for for resources. Yeah.
2: And just to add to that, you know, uh, when you talk about equity and equality, I think um, it is very, very important for all of us to feel equal. Um, and you know, it doesn't matter uh, my gender um, or the color of my skin or um, my accent. Um, you know, it's all about um do I know what I'm talking about? And um, you know, do do how can we provide resources to the kids who are gonna be the future um of the of you know of this planet and you know as I, I i'm just gonna add this quote it's one of my favorites you know nelson mandela says education is the most powerful weapon that you can use to change the world and you know I can't just go out there and say okay I'm gonna change the world you know I I have to do small steps um and just impact the people, you know, around me, my community, our community. Um, And then you just, it's just like a trickling effect. And, you know, it it just will spread.
0: I hope. Uh, Well, it's really cool to see what you guys have been able to accomplish in a short amount of time. And I know that it's going to continue to grow And And I really, really, really encourage anybody listening to go check out educational equity now.com. Uh, it's awesome. And it's just getting started. I mean, I know it's going to continue to grow and, you know, you'll add little tools and you'll find out what's working and what's not, what needs to be removed, what needs to be added and kind of built on. So that's great. So thank you so much for coming and talking to, you, to me today. And you're both, uh, you know, always welcome on the show. I'm sure Nels and I have kind of made a, a back door agreement where we're going to have them on at least once every six months or so. Cool. So, so, you know, and I, I think the work that you, Nels, uh the work that you do with with uh special education is, is amazing. And I'm really proud of you, knowing that I'm mean, I've known you for 20 plus years and whatnot to see where you've come from uh from how different we were at, at 20 years old, you know, we were little punks. <laughs> and so and Charu, it's very it's very nice to get to know you as well. And I know that that uh you know the relationship that you guys share with your children and the and the sense of pride you have in your family is really inspiring, and so it's, it's pretty cool to see. So again, I'm going to, you're very welcome. And thanks. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to, uh, like I said, I'm going to end this with a song and this song is kind of heavy. Uh, Joey Helpish. The song is called neurotypical and he is on the autism spectrum himself. And he is an educator, music educator, amateur. I mean, I wouldn't say amateur he's, uh, he doesn't use it. It's, it's a non-structured style. So I think it's really cool what he does, but, uh, this song specifically, he was talking about how he has to kind of mask himself so that people can understand what his, what he's like, because he's so, he's wired so differently and it's a really heavy song and it's really personal. And it's one of the things I love about him is that he'll he'll really open up about it. And the work that he does with, with, uh, people on the autism spectrum creating music is amazing. I mean, he has told me before how he worked really hard to get, uh, nonverbal students, he's like, I'm going to get them talking, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and he's been, he's been successful. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And I know the parents are just like, Oh, I can't even believe where we started. It's not just music too. He's got a, he's got one of his students that he's been working on making animated YouTube videos. And it's hilarious because this kid makes these videos that are talking trash on, on Joey Helpish, the the teacher And Joey publishes them He's like, oh, this is so great You know, and so it's really cool So thank you both for coming on I really appreciate you Uh, EducationalEquityNow.com People, check it out The link is in the show notes And then we're going to get out of here This is Joey Helpish with Neurotypical
3: I was born Lonesome man Easy to Misunderstand